Hey there, Marquee Marvelers. Welcome to Bubbling Up, an adult conversation on the wide world of comics. I'm your abandoned movie theater private dick, Joe Soria, along with my go-to government insider, Steve Hermosi. Oh, wait, wait. You see that? I did that one well today. There you go. That's that's might be the inspiration of the music or hours of talking just now about our last episode or that I said this was going to be a pithy one and we're going to make a pithy episode. Yeah, I'm more, I'm more. It's a pithy party today. So we're going to do a, a quick one on a nice pithy book, I think, a nice quick one. So today's show, we're going to be breaking down the latest graphic novel by collaborators Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, who we've done before and discussed in depth before, the Reckless series. The ghost in you. And I was just giving Steve O the pleasure of me singing on mute, though, and playing him what I think is the inspiration of this The Ghost in You, the psychedelic first song, which everyone should be listening to in the background. Pump that chorus in right now. It's a good vibe for. For the, for the comic itself. It's an 80s comic and it makes perfect sense. Anything you want to add to the Ghost in You psychedelic furs, Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, Devo? Oh, that whole, that whole thing? Uh, no, I, I am excited to talk about this one for reasons that will become clear soon. But reasons that we talked about the first time we covered a reckless book. It's very ominous. Yeah, let's talk about it. Let's do it. I don't do it every episode, but you know, we'll take reviews. We'll take those stars. Everyone wants them. Everybody needs them. If you have any thoughts, Instagram is where we do the most of the work, bubbling up pod, or you can email us bubbling up pod at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions, Steve-O's phone number is, oh, I, I left that one out. Okay. So just to give a, a shorthand of our, our backgrounds, uh, you know, we talked about Brubaker a lot. We got done a lot of mystery, a lot of uh, throwbacks, a lot of Hollywood. We got Fade Out, which is a 30 series that I like. That was a, sh- a limited series. We've got Criminal, that's crime in the LA, I don't know if it's nationwide, I don't remember what area it is, but it's the noir series. We have Fatal, which is another noir series, Killer Be Killed, which I would say is a killer noir series. And now we've got this 80s detective, you know, our ex-FBI agent down on his luck type character. So uh, any other thoughts on Reckless and just a reminder for you, Steve-O, before we get into this issue specifically itself? Uh, yeah, I, I, I have been meaning to get more into Brubaker for a long time, and I'm, I'm glad that you like all this stuff. So you're like actually giving me an impetus to read more of his books. So I still have to read the third one in the Reckless series, which I haven't checked out yet, but I'm sure it's just as good as the rest of them. So I'm looking forward to that one as well. Yeah, these are nice, quick, punchy, pithy, like I said, pithy. They're, you know, 130 pages, not too over the top of the dialogue, kind of flow. You know what you're going to get. It's just like reading the dime store. And they're putting them out so fast, too. I think yeah. four of these books have come out in like a year and a half or less, you know? Yeah, I think there's a fifth one, and then there's supposed to be a break. I, mean, I listened to a pretty good interview with Brubaker on, I don't know which one is Word Balloon or or the other one. There's There was one recently about this, and, and he talked about how it's hard to actually promote the fourth book of a series, right? It's like, who wants to have you on to talk about the same characters? And this is kind of what we're doing here. But I thought that kind of inspired me to say, hey, you know what? Let's talk about this one because it does have quite a difference. And mm-hmm. we'll get to that in the synopsis pretty much. Just to give the rundown before Steve does the synopsis, we got The Ghost in You, Reckless Book 4, Publisher's Image. The writer is Ed Brubaker. Artist is Sean Phillips. Colorist is Jacob Phillips. And the lettering is also by Sean Phillips. And it was published, I don't know, it's this spring at some point. So I, I don't know if anyone even needs that part of it. Yeah recently whenever we record this a few months before that so steve why don't you give the the synopsis 
It's the winter of 1989, and Ethan is out of town. So this time, Anna has to tackle the job on her own. When a movie scream queen asks her to pr- prove the mansion she's renovating isn't haunted, Anna will stumble into the decades-long mystery of one of Hollywood's most infamous murder houses. A place with many dark secrets, some of which might just kill her. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. We have all the buzzwords here, guys. We've got scream cranes, we've got murder houses, we've got haunted, we've got infamous, we've got Hollywood. So we were joking about it, or just talking about it before, but you predicted this book, Steve-O. So I want you to, again, I'm going to give you lead off of not just initial impressions, but how you predicted the future. Like you're inside the, the mind and, and guiding Ed Brubaker. You're Rekha Cooney. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I feel like you probably listened to our episode about the first two and was like, yeah, that's a great idea. But like, Definitely. you know, it makes sense that they would do one of these books about Anna and just have her be the main character in it. She's a really interesting character right from the get-go. Let's talk about what we got of her in the beginning before she becomes a star here. I think that's probably a good point. If if you're listening to this and haven't read it or listening, trying to get a backstory and skip right into this, what was her what was her role introduction, I guess, in the in the first books that we, we covered one and two uh, a couple episodes back? Well, um, Ethan's whole deal is he like works out of an abandoned movie theater where they like kind of put on you know, flicks and stuff like that. She's like she loves the movies. She's kind of a punk rocker. Like she has like a lot of interest in seemingly in like helping out the people that Ethan's trying to help out. The big movies that they're going to put on in that theater. At some right. Point. And, and, and in making some money on, on uh, filling up the theater when she can on you know, weekends or whatever. But she's just well-written and a good side character. And it makes perfect sense to see a her, her have her own type of thing and B have like a detective origin for herself where she has to go and like fail on her own basically and make mistakes and stuff like that. And, become like a better detective right like at some point you get ethan's story and it's like all right he's like good he's like hard-boiled detective at this point like it's interesting to see the like the year one aspect of things as well and like that's an easy way to do that take the protege and throw her into the fire without like him as a as a net to help her and i think this story does pretty well with with just taking that and running with it yeah i think uh my thought when you were talking about it, I was like, number one, I was happy that this wasn't like a different series, right? It's just taking a break from our main character and leading with what he does, but giving it a different spin and then also being able to flesh out her character in the same vibe. So we don't have to kind of start something new, but we also get to explore. So you could do this as like a side plot, but instead of a full side plot where it would be like a B plot, it's just getting its own isolated book in the same the same world. So I, I think that's great. I, I was thinking... When you were talking, I was like, like a punk money penny, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like a person who has all the data and is keeps him in line is like the the home base, Uh, like Barbara Gordon in the Batman series a lot of times now, you know, making sure Batman's not lost. So without her, he'd be lost in essence. And that's one of, I don't know if that's the third issue that you might have missed, but basically there's an issue or I think it's the second issue where she kind of like gets a boyfriend and is like not as interested in what they're doing together and that type of thing, you know, pretty standard. And I just left this in here. I is repeating the first episode, but in the back of the first release, in the back of each release, he does have a little mini essay and he does talk about how much he loves the Richard Stark Parker novels. And that's what this vibe is. And they never leave Parker in those, but it's basically just like taking one of those side characters and fleshing it out and allowing to expand the world. And then when She's in trouble in the future, even though you probably don't think she's going to die because that's kind of the, the rhythm here. Like James Bond doesn't die. Money, Money Penny doesn't really die. Although 
spoiler alert, if you saw the newest James Bond. Uh, but literally, you know, there, there are kind of characters that are meant to live on forever. So comfort food, that's what I was saying here. Comfort food, recognizable beats, good flow, different character and fleshing out another character. So let's get into the story a little bit. So you said Ethan's out of town. Anna tries to fill the void. She picks up the phone. She finds this Elvira type character, Lorna Valentine, Evelina. Evelina, that's very, very, no obvious references in this. And it's just, it feels like a story that anyone could tell, right? It's right out. These really do feel like personal stories as close as possible. He talks about Anna watching these as like Saturday afternoon movies and, mm-hmm. you know, loving this woman for being kind of an introduction to what she loved, ended up loving as, you know, while she grown up. So it'd be how important that person is. And then you, this movie actually is about the importance of the, the characters in your life, positive or negative, right? It's Anna, Evelina, Lorna Valentine. We have Anna's mom and Madame Marlena even. So really your four main characters in this movie are all, all women. So this is a very female centric story that takes place in our world of kitschy Hollywood and connecting to childhood memories. It's kind of just a variant on the Ethan story where Ethan, I believe the reason he buys the movie theater is his father loves old movies and he would just wanted to sit there and watch the movies. And after he had his whole run in, he kind of like bought the theater and lived in it. Now it's an active theater and he's working out of it with Anna. So it's evolved, but things do evolve. And I think this is the evolution of the Anna character. So I just kind of liked that. We just kind of turned it on a dime used all the recurring characters that are showing up later, but mostly it's it's female-centric and it doesn't push it in your face, just does it, which I thought was effective. I did want to say, like, I, I kind of love that Evelina character and, like, the way that it talked about, like, how most of her experiences were, like, kind of shitty at, like, cons and stuff like that, but Anna, like, going and seeing her and asking, truly being, like, interested and fangirling out, I guess, kind of, to her, it was, like, great for her. I really briefly wanted to say in terms of the story, I like the story. It's good. It feels a little bit more exposition heavy than the previous ones to me. If I remember correctly, I feel like there's a bit more like caption description of things and letting letting you kind of see the way that they play out. But I noticed it, so it was maybe a little bit too much, but it wasn't like a big anchor around the plot or anything like that. Well, I think it's in lieu of fight scenes. (laughs) The other ones always have like a couple of fights and there's really no like punch-ups here. So I think instead of doing that, the, he didn't want to make her like the the badass out of nowhere type. Right. So that is the one thing that you have difference. Ethan is like a trained soldier and is getting into dust-ups, like always running into someone who's a drug dealer or whatever else right. trying to hide something. And in this case, that doesn't really happen. It's more about her kind of digging through her past and they use that instead and, and, and kind of lean on that. So I don't want to say if it feels more exposition-y, but there's more encounters with her mom and with this Lorna Valentine character versus it. And the other ones, the impetus, you know, the drive, the inciting character for the mystery shows up a couple of times. I think it's a little more ever presence and her relationship is, is kind of central to the story. So that's where I, I kind of landed there. But yeah, I don't think there is anything crazy here when it comes to the story. The Ghost of Hollywood, the murder houses is a popular thing now and always has been. Scream Queens and Haunted Mansions, Kitschy Hollywood. There is an evil nuns portion of the, of the segment. There's underground caves and lairs and good cops, bad cops and all kinds of stuff. So it feels very it, like 70s cinema, right? Like almost yeah. like nun, like dipping into nunsploitation a little bit and like the, the Evelina Elvira thing and like the, the murder house like fascination. 
very much like as a 70s vibe, even though it's supposed to take place in the 80s, right? It's like a five-point checklist of like, what are we going to show off in this one yeah. to make sure that this is a Hollywood-feeling story? And, and, and don't worry, uh, Brubaker took care of it. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll do the art and everything else, and then we'll finish this up. So we're halfway there. I'm bubbling up. And we're back. So uh, Sean Phillips has a pretty standard style, Steve-O. So we're going to do the art. It's Sean Phillips. I believe his brother Jacob Phillips doing the coloring. And then there's the lettering. This is pretty standard. You know, this is what we would expect. I've read so many of their books that it just kind of goes over me. I think he has a, a style of it's not overly detailed. It feels more dime store novel. It feels more Dick Tracy, like 50s. Uh, it's not this like hyper realistic. And I think that sometimes is a, a negative, especially if you're reading a five books in a series and it's all about the same characters a little bit. A lot of the characters look the same. I even put it here. If you look, there is a waiter that I think looks exactly like Ethan. And you're just like, is that the character? Like, did he just not draw it again? And then Ethan looks just like Robert Redford in his like 40s and 50s, yeah. you know? So all the characters kind of look like someone else. Like his, her mom kind of looks like an Anne Margaret character. It does all seem not super creative. And even, you know, I had it coming up later, but the character design of Anna kind of has the Thora Birch, Scarlett Johansson look of Ghost World. So it's like this vibe that this isn't, especially if you look at her in the glasses, that looks just like the perfect mixture of the two of them. Uh, You know, a reference to a great comic that was also turned into a a pretty good movie. So I don't know what it is. Like, uh, I, I think it's just, I like Sean Phillips' work. I think it vibes well with what Brubaker does, but I kind of on this one was like, it would be nice if we got a, a slightly, a slightly different look here and there. We got a different focus in the story, but I, I do think it's a little, I don't want to say bore, you know, boring, but just nothing spectacular. I was going to say, like, I really like this style, but if you've read any of these books, you know what it looks like. It's nothing new or outrageous in here. I mean, I'm sure there are points where you kind of push whatever the boundaries of whatever he's doing or try to push himself to do something like a little bit different, but it's the basically the same style that we've seen in all the reckless books. I mean, it looks good. A lot of like pastels and stuff like that. I wrote the sunwash noir. There's definitely those faded pinks and the oranges and like, looks like a, like a beautiful sunset wherever they are, <laughs> even if they're inside of a diner or whatever. And yeah, it's, it's good. And then that's my, my one would say just, I'm, I feel a little cheated on my character design sometimes you know, maybe that's just me being picky. So now my next step we have is execution and everything else, basically the settings. There isn't too much else. Again, we're, we're just going to do repetition. But if you didn't listen to the first one, I still love the old movie theater scene. I love that there's a, you know, if any time I can talk about Mifune, I believe we talked about it about a billion times. And there's a Yojimbo marquee. Give me movies and marquees. Give me animations of Mifune as Yojimbo. Let's show people watching movies and drawing it. I'm cool with that. That's fine. It just makes me makes me happy. That's my happy place. I like our little pop-ins to our recurring characters, like the video store guy and the FBI agent. Just familiar rhythms and familiar vibes and familiar colors or blues or palettes are dark blues and purples. And then our, our pinks and oranges on the other side, very like moody of this piece. So anything else you'd like to talk about? Yeah, I mean, 100%, I, I think that in terms of like the execution or I guess the we had a, a creativity section here as well as like, I like that the creativity in this is that they centered it on a different character. And I like that, that we did that. I really think that what they're doing here is like they have it down to a science at this point. I'd honestly be surprised if we don't see 
movies of these at some point, or at least like a couple of them, you know, like I think that they're well done enough and there's enough there in this like world that they could really make a couple of good like knives out type flicks like around this or something, you know? So the execution's there. I mean, it's just, let's do this type of story that we've done a few times already and like, yeah. and keep putting it out because it's good. And like, you just throw, you just throw different ingredients into the blender each time and it's going to come out as a good smoothie, but like, it's going to be a little bit different, but it's still going to be a smoothie. Nonetheless, I think they've figured it out. They cracked the the nut on this one and, and I'm just happy to keep reading them, you know, until they don't want to put them out anymore. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, people watch Law and Order and they begged for Law and Order to come back. And then it came back and it's the same. And, yeah. and they had another Law and Order. And they're like, why isn't the original Law and Order around? It's like, well, it's the same thing, guys. So these prime procedurals can last forever, right? And I think this could be a forever. He did Criminal a long time too, or a lot of episodes. And they were a little more dark, a little more bloody. I like these better than like stuff like Law and Order or CSI or whatever. Any of yeah, like, I much prefer this type of stuff to that, you know? This leans more into the type of stuff I love. I said, Parker, even on 80s TV, I love Spencer for Hire, like Robert Urich or like Vegas, like these yeah. kind of, you know, new mystery. Uh, we got our recurring friends. We've got our, our gal pal around. We've got Avery Brooks, a.k.a., you know, Deep Space Captain. I say it's like other hitman helping badass. You know, it's a great show. If you'd ever watch Spencer for Hire, I believe it's on freebie. You want to get a free ad, but they're just all the same. All awesome. Drives a cool car, muscle car around Boston. It's a Boston show, which is pretty rare, honestly, but it's really good. Yeah, I'll give my one my one reach out. And I, I know that you don't like me to pop these questions. I did write it in here. I probably didn't ask you. And I just talked about a little bit. What would you think casting here? Come on, let's do it, Steve-O. You just talked about quick, it. A quick casting? Because to me, like, that's the key here. If you cast a major star, if you're casting Robert Redford, which wouldn't be like, but a modern, like, this is a, looks like Brad Pitt kind of, right, right yeah. now, the way Reckless is done. If this is Brad Pitt doing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I don't think they would get, this is a movie. If this is some kind of blonde, you know, Nikolaj Coster-Walder, aka Jamie Lannister, then this is a TV series. But what do you got here? Either casting, anybody, come on. I have not thought about it yet. Well, obviously they should get Elvira to do Evelina. <laughs> but oh my God, I, I feel like I, I feel like I just I just saw somebody who would be perfect for Anna and I can't think of who it was. Like I just saw a movie or a TV show or something recently. The ones I thought, I mean, like I said, all the ghost world, but those people would be older, but it does look like the Thora Birch slash Scarlett Johansson with grandma glasses vibe. You don't really see a body type. Like it's usually she's kind of very like inner coats type scenario. And then on the Ethan side, it could be kind of anybody. I, I, don't, I don't like I, I think that, that I just stumbled into that. But that like Jamie Lannister type, I could see him doing this like he usually is a little bit more. But I've seen him in a lot of those type of movies. You know, this is a we talked about Bruce Willis. Like this is a Bruce Willis type maybe part like a, he's a quiet, a silent assassin type. You know, he's not an assassin, but like a silent, but like you need hair. So that's the only limitation. I don't know it'd be. You know who I was thinking of? Have you been watching Barry? Yes, yes, yes. What's her name? The She was in eighth grade too. The brunette chick? The, you yeah. know, the assistant? No, no, no. Not the assistant. No, she... Oh, I know you're talking about. I didn't know she was the eighth grade girl. Now you say it. Oh, I don't know her name. Yeah, the one who's yeah. playing the... Her co... Her co-star, yeah. Co-star that's kind of a they scenario going on there. That would be interesting. Like the other side, I was thinking like, I don't like Kat Dennings, but I'm saying like, she has this like lush, like full lips type big eyes thing going on. I, I don't know, but that's just the vibe. Like Zoe Deschanel look. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, 
I was thinking, you know, he's already done enough. There's a lot of British blood, a Tom Hiddleston or, or something like that. They do a lot of the Le Carre. There's a lot of this, this type of movie made more in English type. They're less well done in American type. Like what they would do is ruin this. Actually, I said Spencer for Hire, which is one of my favorite TV series. They already ruined, I don't know, they ruined, but that really bad Marky Mark Spencer movie was that character. I think it's called like Spencer Confidential. And it's like a black guy and a white guy, you know, solving crimes together. And it was awful. So like if they took this and put like a Mark Wahlberg, like that wouldn't be surprising. It just would suck. But like if it was good, if it was the good era, if we had Mark Wahlberg like 10, 15 years ago when he could act a little bit, that's where I could see it. So I'm not sure it would hit this hot zone, but uh, I will always ask you. So you got to think, you always got to be thinking on your feet because you know I want to cast these things and I want to be right and I want to do well. So anything else, any other sum ups on Reckless in general or this book? I think we, we kind of said it's standard operating procedure. We liked it. Pretty good. Quick read. They're available on, I know it's available on Hoopla and a lot of the other free book library platforms. So for me, if you're into that stuff, you can get it. I, I don't know if Steve already, but I'm sure it's on Comixology, et cetera. Anything else you want to say to close before we uh, do our next episode situation? Nah, read more Ed Brubaker. Friday, the new Friday just came out. I'm sure he'd be glad for us to uh, talk about that as well. So yeah, we have that on the list. It's kind of a similar, interesting kitty mystery type scenario. There's not much that Brubaker does that isn't mystery. They're also doing, I think they were supposed to do that Gotham PD type show that they kind of switched because they don't want to do a cop show after Batman, but it was supposed to be based on his work. I think he was in the writer's room for the Penguin show basically as well. So I think he's been doing quite a bit of TV. I think he was on Lost. He does a lot of TV that I always forget like him. And I listened to an interview with Pornsack Pijashote, you know, from the Good Asian. And he does a lot of like, I think he said he, he used to write like Cloak and Dagger, but he does a lot of TV stuff too. So these comic books don't take that long. They have a lot of other time on their hands, yeah. um, especially if they're just kind of pumping it out. And they have a vibe, you know, I, I've seen some things with Brubaker, but he generally sticks to his move. I know he did write the Captain America that a lot of people know like that the first Avenger was built on and the Bucky angle and all that. So he's very important, if nothing else, in the Marvel Universe, too. All right. So that's it for The Ghost in You, Reckless Book 4. The next few episodes, I'm not sure what order we're going to do them, but we're going to be reviewing a, a Steve-O choice of The Day Trippers. I think it's an early 2010s title, End of the Vertigo Era. It's a isolated 10 episode. Uh, you want to give any info or pitch on that, Steve-O? Yeah, it's kind of just a uh, philosophical take on death and dying and, and yes. kind of thing. So really exciting stuff. Gabriel Ba and Fabio Moon, two brothers who work in comics. The art is great. It's kind of a beautiful book to me in my memory. I haven't read it in a couple of years, but uh, I'm excited to check that out again. And then the other thing we're going to do is a Thor preview. And there's another Steve-O, I don't know his choice, but he recommended this because it's also related to what's supposed to be in the movie is The God Butcher. Many people are upset they have not seen The God Butcher yet. I'm never a big fan of Bruce Wayne, Christian Bale. I wasn't a Batman one, but I, I could see him being a really good villain. He's rarely bad with a knife in his hands. Even like Rain of Fire to American Psycho and everyone in between. So if there's a little Huey Lewis in this Thor Love and Thunder while he's God Butchering, I would be glad to see it. So if you want to get your readings ready, that's Thor God Butcher Volume 1, and it's by Jason Aaron and Day Trippers, as Steve O gave us, Gabriel Ba and Fabio Moon. All right, that's, I think that's it for us. So thank you guys for listening, and we'll bid you adieu. Cheers. Yeah, it's the same music as at the beginning. Our buddy Chris Morgan did it. The intro is so nice, we used it twice. What, you want show credits over here? All right, fine. Bring in the heat in the MC seat.
was Joe Soria, along with me, his trusty sidekick, Steve Ramosi. We also want to give a big thank you to Leland Holden of Pod Punch Editing for making sure we don't sound as dumb as we sound. Uh, Leland, can you edit this so it doesn't sound so dumb, please? Don't forget to follow us and like all our stuff on the socials for ultimate glory. And we'll be bubbling back up next week with more brilliance. Later.